There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Hawk Week podcast. I'm Hawk Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Nick Hamilton of Barnsdale Gardens. Now Nick's written an autobiography called The Right Genes about the relationship with his late father Jeff Hamilton, the pioneer in peat-free organic gardening who presented BBC Gardener's World for 17 years. Now Nick trained at Rittle College before gaining experience at several wholesale nurseries before going into business with his dad at Barnsdale. And they worked together for several years before Jeff's untimely death in 1996. So, welcome, Nick. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> Excellent. Good to see you. Now, how did this book, The Right Genes, come about? What was the inspiration to do it now? Well, to be fair, I mean, it's been something that was rattling around in my head for some considerable time. Um, and with a pressure of work and not really um, knowing where to start, how to write it, and, you know, what sort of format I wanted to do it in. It, it, it just sort of stayed rattling around in my head, really. Um, but it was my wife, Helen, who, who basically said, you know, you've, you've just, got to, just got to do it. Um, and so I sat down, and, and actually it was an awful lot easier um, than I thought it would be to, to put, um, you know, the words down on, literally on paper. And how did it feel writing it? Um, it was it was an emotional roller coaster, I have to say. Um, you know, you, you you do. I mean, I did occasionally find myself sort of welling up a little bit sometimes, remembering, you know, some some you know some really lovely things that that happened in my life. You know, with my dad and the way that he used to do stuff, and you know, and the unique sort of things that he did, um, and and also just just revisiting things that I hadn't revisited for years and, and you know, forgotten about, filed away at the back of my head somewhere and never came, came to the fore again. So, you know, it was, it was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. It certainly shows a phenomenal memory and there's lots of things that I didn't know about in there. Um, now, 
with Jeff's big break, um, it all came about through getting Barnsdale and writing for magazines. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, basically, he, um, you know, we, we moved to the Midlands uh, from Hertfordshire, where, where I was born and brought up originally. Um, when my dad found um, this derelict garden centre, he'd been a landscaper for quite some time, a self-employed landscaper, and just got fed up with, with that sort of knocking on people's doors, asking for money all the time and then promising they'd pay him and then never did. And he just said he felt like a debt collector. So he, he wanted to get out of that and work for his dad for a bit um, in a business that he had. And, and whilst driving around for that, found this derelict garden centre. So we moved there. Um, and my dad was all about plants. He wasn't about all the other things that went alongside it you know he knew he had to, to to stop them and sell them but his interest was plants and of course they're the thing that makes you the least money um so um and he wasn't a businessman he, he would admit quite happily he was probably the world's worst businessman so uh, when the garden center went bust um he was was topping carrots basically in lincolnshire and doing sort of stuff like that and then decided that he needed to find um, some means of supporting his family that was better than that and um, decided to write a couple of articles for Garden News, sent them off and uh, fortunately it was Jeff Amos that, that picked those up and went to the editor and said, you know, we need to, we need to talk to this guy and, uh, and he all went from there. So from Garden News he then went to Practical Gardening, um, was the editor of Practical Gardening magazine and, and uh, he'd moved to... Um, to Barnsdale in Rutland. Now, Barnsdale was a, a big hall um, and he rented a double red brick cottage from the family that owned the hall with a couple of acres of land behind, which is where he did his, um, his sort of uh, set up for the photography for the magazine. Um, so he'd have fruit and veg and, and ornamental areas as well there. Uh, and, uh, and then um, Gardener's World um, asked him to, to guest on a programme uh, because he was deemed a gardening expert, being the, the, the editor of what was then the top magazine of its day. Uh, and, uh, and fortunately for him, um, the, the producer-director, John Kenyon, uh, saw um, what he thought would develop into ultimately what he did develop into. When this was all happening, though, it must have been quite hard times for you because the garden centre closing down and you know, not having any money and all that type of thing. How, how were you feeling at the time? Uh, yeah, it was a it was a very difficult time. My mum and dad had split up by then. Um, you know, in many ways, it's fortunate that my mum is French. In some ways, it's not, um, but in many ways, it is. Uh, and and the, the the best way, as certainly as a as a youngster and a teenager, uh, was the fact that she was a fantastic cook, and could make something out of nothing, which was which was uh, you know what you needed in those times because. You know, sometimes money came, sometimes it didn't. And, and that's the way that it was, obviously, depending on whether he had work or not, until he started regularly writing, that's the way it was. So it was very tough, but, you know, if nothing else, it gives you a really good grounding. And obviously, you know, with the, you know, the fact that horticulture generally isn't a cash-rich industry, it, it sets you up well for, for life generally. So, uh, you know, I was, I was never one to expect nor get um, expensive things and, and, uh, and I think that, that makes you a very grounded person. No, indeed. And at this time you were, were training at Rittle and then in, into nurseries, so can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I, I um, uh, when, when um, 
the time came for for me to go to college, uh, you know, we we went to the um, British Growers Look Ahead at the NEC actually, and I, and uh, with my dad and and I'd made a long list of all of the universities and the colleges that I wanted to look at that were doing horticultural courses. I'd got a great pile of prospectuses at home and and um, and my dad promised we'd go and, and look at each of them. We managed to look at Riddle, uh, which is where he went, and he managed to manoeuvre me around the whole of that show without ever coming across another college or university. Um, so Riddle it was for me, and I went and did a um, what started off as an ordinary national diploma, ended up just as a national diploma uh, in, in commercial horticulture. Uh, passed that with credit, and um, and then... It was a sandwich year, so I went to work at Derby Nursery Stock in, in uh, Norfolk uh, and they asked me if I would come back and work for them full-time after my college course had finished and I went back there um, for uh, about four years and then I moved on to uh, Raveningham Gardens, uh, again just south of Norwich in Norfolk uh, and worked there for St Nicholas Bacon and... Um, and then did another couple of wholesale short stints at wholesale nursery before I decided that it was it was time that that my dad sort of stuck to his word and we we set up a little business together. So I then came back to Barnsdale and imposed myself in 1989, uh, early very early 1989, and and gradually twisted his arm until the opportunity to buy um, the original well this piece of land for for where we've set up the nursery came up and and uh, we went from there ah cool now the book it ends with john kenyon's call and just getting into gardener's world so there's there's another book coming isn't there yes i mean i have <laughs> the idea the idea always well the idea was to write a book and then when you start you you, you then realize that there's so much material that you don't really want to write something the size of war and peace so um, so I, I divided it into sort of two and I thought, well, you know, if I stop it when he starts on, on Gardens One, and, and obviously that's where, the, you know, people became familiar with him. So nobody knew who he was really before then, uh, which, which made that, that first book a really lovely thing. So, um, you know, the next, the, the first book is called The Right Genes and Genes is spelt J, uh, sorry, G-E-N-E-S. Uh, the second book is also going to be called The Right Genes and it's going to be spelt J-E-A-N-S. So he was the first gardener to garden in jeans. So I just thought it was a nice play on words. And that will go from that very first programme right the way through uh, the following 17 years. Oh, brilliant. How similar are you to Jeff, do you think? Uh, I said in the book that, you know, that I, I once heard that the middle son um, or the middle child, and I'm the middle, middle boy of three, and, um, and is the one that is most like their their father and that very much is the case with me i'm very much a chip off the old block and um and i you know i see so so much of my dad in me um and uh, you know and i think that we're very similar neither of my two brothers are um interested in horticulture never went into horticulture i've always been interested uh, literally from from the day i was born wow so why do you think jeff is still recalled so fondly um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, obviously I'm, I'm you know, I have a, a very biased view, I suppose, but, but I try and step back and look at it. And obviously I speak to many thousands of people um, through the year uh, about it and they comment about it. And I think that, you know, there are a few people um, in the media, um, generally on TV and radio, uh, who 
have that ability and it's a natural ability to connect with people so that they think that they're talking to them personally uh, and nobody else and they have that relation they build that relationship with them um, and he definitely had that and I think that you know he was a, a very honest a very down-to-earth sort of person and that really did come across on the TV um, and you very much got what you got and uh, and I think that, that that's what endeared himself to people. It seems to me he was quite ahead of his time with Organic and, and Pete Free, and that's kind of all coming home to, to roost now. What was your view of all that at the time? Um, I mean, it, <laughs> I have to say that, that you know, when he, when he made his coil rocks, I, I did think he'd completely lost the plot. Uh, and and he was of, he was of an age when when you know that could have happened uh, and and certainly when I was uh, you know in my early thirties I thought that he was of an age when that could have happened. Now that I've surpassed it, the age that he got to, I'm I'm not quite so sure. Obviously, although my children keep trying to tell me I'm the same. Uh, but um, yes, I mean I was very involved with the peat free thing. Obviously, we we started the nursery by then. Um, we were growing peat free and have been ever since in the nursery uh, with stuff. And so we sort of developed that that compost that he used, peat-free compost we used here um, on the nursery with him. Uh, but but the organic thing, um, you know, that was something that he did and uh, very much for the, the, you know, the better living and, and uh, the not putting, you know, stuff in my body I didn't need to put in. So I was very supportive of that. Um, but to be honest, I mean, you know, it's 26 years since he passed away and there are certain things that they're still sort of catching up with that he was talking about and was doing. So, you know, incredibly proud, obviously, of everything that he achieved, but certainly, you know, those sort of things really do stand out. Have things moved slower than you expected in terms of organics and peat-free? Very much so. I think I think that when, you know, I can understand that, that, that when he passed away that, that people wanted to do it differently. You know, I, I'm... You know, I, I get incredibly proud and and sometimes, you know, a little bit sort of emotional about the fact that, that people, you know, use him as the, still use him as the yardstick at which to compare um, all the other uh, horticulturists in the media by. Uh, and, and that is fantastic to say, well, you know, he's the best and, and you know, the rest of them are catching up. But I think that that when he passed away, they, they definitely felt that they needed to, to do something different to try and break away from that because they didn't want, you know, somebody who was a substitute Jeff Hamilton, as it were, which was quite right. And I think the impetus certainly for organics and for peat-free gardening uh, lost quite a lot of, of its way um, then and, and has struggled to, to catch back up again. Now, you talk about Jeff's blue denim jeans and uh, you ought to talk about jacket and tie gardeners that came before for instance Percy Thrower and Peter Seabrook who um, who died this year and uh, Jeff and Peter had their run-ins over the years so how do you feel about all that now? Oh yeah no I don't have a problem with that I mean Peter had his view um, and I got on fine with Peter we always he always used to come and chat to me and talk to see me at the, at the flower shows that I attended and and other things that, that I saw him at. Um, and, I, and, you know, we had a very good relationship. My dad had a, um, you know, a bit of an up and down relationship with Peter. Uh, you can't get on with everybody. They, they each had their own view. And, and for, for whatever reason, they each dug their heels in about it uh, and weren't prepared to concede with each other. Um, whereas they may well have conceded a little bit with somebody else. And, and I don't know why. Um, but, uh, but like I say, I mean, you know, they were both very 
keen that their view was right. And sometimes when somebody has a view where they feel that they're absolutely right, there is no changing them, whether, whether they are right or not. And, and who's to say, um, you know, who was in, in that respect. But, um, but I, had a, I don't have a problem. I, I had a good relationship with Peter Seabrook. No, both, both looked back on very fondly. I mean, but have you got any idea why that stubbornness came between them? No, I, 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 no, I have no idea. I have no idea at all. Um, I think, I think, my, you know, my dad would would um, would say what he felt, you know, and and it may be that that, that Peter took something in slightly the wrong way, and and it wasn't meant, you know. Sometimes you can, you know, and and that's the the trouble with the English language. It's very easily distorted uh, because so many words can mean different things, um, and I I don't really know, but it, it may well have just been something as simple as that. Um, there was no, you know, real animosity. It was it was very much more of a, a you know, heel digging in, as it were. Yeah, I guess we can all look back and, and smile now. Now, looking ahead with um, with Barnsdale, uh, you know, quarter of a century or more there. So, uh, what's the plans? Uh, the plans is is you know we we keep we keep rolling on. We're we're at the moment we're um, battling um, a, a prospect of a of the possibility of a solar farm next door, which is a, a nightmare scenario for me and would probably close well would close me if it happened, but. I'm being very positive about that, so that's the battle I have at the moment. Um, but but as we do with with the gardens themselves, you know, we we move on, uh, we keep moving on. It's not a historical garden. A garden, as my dad always said, is a work in progress, and ours is no different. So, um, you know, we keep changing, we keep um, trying to um, educate our visitors. I, I do very much see the gardens not as a, a tourist attraction as such. Uh, but more of an educational facility. And obviously there's no better way to educate people by doing it subversively so that they're enjoying themselves and things are soaking in, they don't even realise they're learning. And and so that's what we're looking to do continually. You know, we, we will gradually change a garden over a period of maybe one, two, three years. And, and that's a rolling process that we have. So the gardens are always changing. Wow, OK. And uh, tell us about the solar farm. What's happening there? Well... There's a prospect for a 200 acres, starting from our boundary hedge, of 10-foot-high solar panels that move with the sun. Um, so they'll be 10-foot-high in the morning and 10-foot-high in the evening um, over our hedge, which is 6-foot-high. And um, for as far as the eye can see, um, and, and, uh, and that's the proposal. Uh, and the reason they're using that field is is because it's the closest field they can get to the substation. Um, and apparently, the cost, the main cost of putting a solar farm together in that respect is the cost of the cable. So the shortest distance they can do. So, you know, I mean, we it's it's difficult. Sometimes people sort of think that we're very we're anti-solar when we're not, or anti-alternative energy when we're not. You know. I keep reminding people we've been at the forefront here of so many ecological and environmental initiatives. You know, we're very much in agreement of, of, of alternative power, but it shouldn't be alternative power at any cost. And, you know, if you come to visit a garden and, and your perception is of being in the middle of an industrial estate, because all you can see are these blooming panels over and the noise that comes from them and the noise that comes from the battery storage containers, uh, you're not going to come back again. If people don't come back again, then we will no longer be here. Um, and that would be, you know, a very sad thing for this country if we went. Well, good luck with that. I hope that all works out for you. Thank you. Now, I remember 
three or four years ago talking to you about one person who used to work with you, Adam Frost, another TV gardener. Yeah. And uh, at the time they were talking about him being Monty Dunn's successor. And I think, you know, he stands in for Monty quite often these days. So tell us about how uh, how Adam came to be working with you back in the day. Well, we we um, we decided that, that I needed to um, progress the development of the garden area around here. So um, the, the sort of the garden that we have is just over eight acres and it's split into two halves. So we've got what I call the TV garden area, which was the base for my dad every Friday night. Uh, and then the nursery garden area, which was the bit that, that he bought in late 1989 that, that I was subsequently developing. And, um, but I was spending more and more time propagating in the nursery, potting and doing the nursery stuff and not doing so much of the garden development. So. Um, my dad decided, as he did, that if he took on another article to write, we could afford to to employ somebody to help me um, to develop the garden. So Adam came to, to work under me um, there, um, developing the gardens, and then obviously doing bits and bobs for my dad as well. Um, you know, and uh, and the article that my dad wrote paid uh, for that. Uh, and uh, you know, Adam was here for some considerable time. Um, always knew, I think, that eventually he would go self-employed um you know i think you realize straight away the sort of you know what people are like were quite a good judge of character in that respect and i don't think that you know he was ever going to stay being employed i think he was very much a person who wanted to be um his own boss and and do his own thing and that's you know and he's obviously done very well for himself subsequently and what do you see is the future adam have you heard anything about him sort of doing more on gardener's world I don't. I mean, I, I. There is nobody at the BBC now that we that we um, knew from from the days. Now, I mean, it's twenty six years since my dad passed away. So you know, the 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 staff rotate relatively regularly there, and and so I've, I've to be honest, Matthew, I've not heard anything at all about it. So um, I I can't really say. And and you know, as we all know, with these things, you you only need to get. A new person come in to take over the reins of a program and and their ideas are different to the person who was there before and it can all change and and you know so so we really don't know at all well he certainly forms part of the the lineage from from barnsdale anyway now excellent it's been really nice speaking to you nick but we always ask at Hawk week um one final question which is what is your favorite plant what plant would you take to a desert island if you were stuck on a desert island well, well, I suppose firstly, I mean, it, you know, my plants change, favourite plants change with the seasons. But I suppose if I was if I was really, really pushed, then I would probably say a penstemon. I've, 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 I don't know why I've had this fascination with penstemon. I mean, they're they're such good value plants in that they flower for so long. You know, they're easy to keep, um, and uh, they're good for beneficial insects as well. Um, and I, I have a, a fascination for those. And, and um, just by the by, there's also one named after my dad, but that's not the reason why. Um, I was fascinated with them before that. Lynn Penstemon. Excellent. Okay. Now, thanks very much to Nick Hamilton from Barnsdale Gardens. Uh, I'm Matthew Appleby, Hawk Week's editor. Now, make sure you never miss a Hawk Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hawk Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. So once again, thanks very much to Nick Hamilton. I'm Matthew Appleby and goodbye until next time. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.